Good morning. I heard a little voice too. Yay. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning, everyone on Zoom. Body mind is still sweeping outside a little bit. So, this is a good opportunity to let that energy change or not. <laughs> I'm searching for my glasses. <laughs> I can do that. The camera is tilted, so I'm trying to. Looks like the holder is. Trisha, does that look straight up? Or right? No. <laughs> 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 so, um, again, welcome and. Uh, it's really beautiful to see so many faces here and uh, just know and appreciate all of the things that came to be for us to be together right here in these minutes together. And do I need to, can everyone hear me? I can use my band director voice if needed. <laughs> <laughs> Is that better? Is that okay? All right. Um, uh, thank you, Galen Roshi, for your teaching and your guidance and steady, continuous practice <laughs> that nourishes us all and the nourishment of each other in our practice. So when I come to the Zendo or sometimes sit at home and as much as I can remember to do, um, I try to recall and go through um, Dogen's specific posture list kind of in the middle of the uh, Fukan Zazengi and I can feel myself going through that mentally and, and checking in so he starts um, and part of it starting with the feet and then starting with your legs and um, then going to the hands and how to adjust the hands and then the torso the inclination of the body you know, not forward, not back, or left or right, but upright and in the middle. And then going to the hands and the shoulders, the ears, the eyes, the nose, the tongue, the teeth, the breath. And um, taking, uh, sharing that and taking that, that teaching. And after going through that, reminding myself that he says, once you've adjusted your posture, take a deep breath. So, everyone, take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Inhale and exhale. Rock your body right, left. And then he says, and settle into a steady, immovable sitting position. Settle into a steady, immovable posture. And I take that... Uh, steadiness and uh, immovable posture into I've been spending time reading and rereading uh, the writings and poems and stories of the first Buddhist women and I've really been uh, struck not only just by the warmth of their connectedness uh, with each other um, but the confidence and the strength of their uh, expression 
and their practice. Uh, struck by the strength of their posture, uh, so to speak. That steady and immovable quality of their practice and their shared practice together, just like we're sharing uh, together this morning. All of these steady, immovable beings that we're all sitting with uh, right now and sharing and practicing together. And these poems and stories come from uh, some chapters or books in the Pali Canon called the Therigata. And theory meaning a Buddhist nun and gata just meaning verse. So verses of Buddhist nuns. If it was the Theragata, it would be verses of the Buddhist monks. And I'll share the very first verse. And this, this verse is not uh, attributed to um, or, or a named Buddhist nun. It just says anonymous nun. <laughs> but it says, sleep little theory, Buddhist nun. Sleep comfortably, wrapped in the robe that you've made, for your passion is stilled like a pot of pickled greens boiled dry. <laughs> <laughs> so the image of, of uh, this anonymous nun just steadily practicing and discovering and realizing stillness uh, stillness at the bottom of that that cooking pot. Uh, still, stillness maybe at the bottom of her being and her feet and her hands and her shoulders. Um, and just the boiling down of uh, the boiling down of her own clinging, the boiling down of her own pride, whatever she's grasping to. But her passion, her desires are stilled, like that pot of pickled greens boiled dry. So imagining her opening up just to the stillness of a world that's free of her naming, of her conceptions, of uh, things, her, her manufacturing of of stories that maybe she's holding it onto with joy or holding onto with pain. She's boiled all of those things away. All of those things that she thought were necessary for her to be her and her attention and her awareness, uh, completely expressing whatever's arising in the moment and resting sleep, sleep, little theory, sleep comfortably. Resting in the acceptance of whatever was in front of her, and many of the of the the poems or stories, um, I guess, kind of have that flavor. To pull in the pickled greens again, <laughs> they have that flavor, and these are women of all backgrounds: old, young, rich, poor, mothers, daughters, sisters, grandmothers, princesses, courtesans, widows, and orphans. And they each come from a different place and, and offering a different teaching in a different way um, and imagining them together in, in that time in India in, in a uh, culture where marriages were arranged and, and the woman is taking a certain role uh, within her family, within uh, uh, with her relationship with the, 
an arranged partner. And yet there's this community of, of nuns. And then I remind myself in, in reading these, rereading them, sometimes writing them down, that these poems were not written, they were spoken to each other. And, you know, each is a record of one human being speaking to another. And maybe they, maybe it was spoken to the Buddha. These were, uh, these early Buddhist nuns were uh, uh, practicing together during the time of the Buddha. Maybe they were shared with another nun uh, while they were cooking or while they were having tea. So there is the beauty and the historical importance, but am I really listening to them? And am I hearing them? And I'd like to share um, more about one of the Buddhist nuns, and her name is Patachara. And we chant her name. When we chant the, the names of the women ancestors, we'll often chant, uh, that's part of our services during sessions or uh, intensive weekend retreats. We'll chant the names of the women ancestors, uh, and Patachara is uh, in that list. Uh, she lived a life of wealth. She also lived a life of tragedy. She lived a life of poverty, and she lived a life of liberation. She was born into a, a wealthy family. She was born into a banker's family. And when she was young, her parents arranged for her to marry someone, but she was in love with one of the uh, house servants. So they eloped and uh, left, left home without, uh, without checking in with her parents. <laughs> <laughs> so, so she, you know, she went against her parents' wishes, against uh, her culture, and she ran away with him. And they set up house in, in some remote place. And it was time, almost time for her to give birth to their first child. And she was feeling that that longing to go and be with her mother and father that was also part of her her culture during that time your uh, the grandparents are there and and that's a big part of the support but her husband was very reluctant you know we kind of left under these uh <laughs> circumstances and i you know we're not going to be well received and so they did not go they did not go back <clears throat> And a few years passed, and she was uh, having their second child, and again kept asking, you know, I want to go back, and I want to see my parents. I want to, to go back. And so um, they decided to make the journey, but they were kind of late in the game, late in the meaning she was due any time, and it was a fairly long journey as the story, as the story uh, goes on. Um, and during this second journey, uh, she was not able to make it home before she gave birth to their second child. And then um, a storm came, and they needed to have shelter. And so the husband goes off to find material to create a shelter. But tragedy strikes, and uh, he is bitten by a poisonous snake. And, and dies. She thinks she's been abandoned by her husband. He just couldn't handle going back to the parents. He's, he's gone, but that's not what happened, according to the story. Um, and so she gathered herself, and she was like, I'm going to go back to my parents. 
Uh, I have a newborn. I have a two-year-old, a toddler, um, and she needed to make it across the river. Her two chil- her children did not make it across the river. So here is this tragedy striking her again. And because of this storm, her mother, her father, and her brother, their house collapsed. They did not make it through that collapse. So in this story, um, her entire family was gone. And she lost her way in, in terrible grief, as anyone could imagine. And then after a period of time of wandering around, um, people referred to her as a crazy woman, as the lunatic, because she was so grief-stricken. She was often naked and wandering around and um, wandering in circles and uh, un- she was dirty and filthy from uh, just being out in the elements. But one day she entered the Jetta Grove where the Buddha was preaching. And those who were gathered to listen were like, no, we, you know, we need to try and move her away. We need to keep her away from the Buddha. But the Buddha followed her and put himself in her path. And as she encountered him, he said, Sister, recover your presence of mind. And she recovered her presence of mind. She saw that she was naked. Someone gave him their outer robe and covered her. Help me, she said to the Buddha. And she told him her terrible story, her tragedies. And he replied, Patachara, don't think that you have come to someone who can help you. In your many lives, You have shed more tears for the dead than there is water in the four oceans. And these words from the the Buddha eased her grief, took away some of that heaviness. And he went on to say that when she herself went to another world, no kin could help her. That even in this world, no kin can help. And he spoke of the Buddhist path. This was early in the Buddha's teaching. So he's speaking of the four noble truths. He's speaking of the eightfold path. When he had finished, she asked if she could be ordained. And together they went to the community of nuns and she was accepted there. So not only was she uh, a disciple of Buddha and a nun, but she was also revered as a teacher, as a great encourager. And she ordained other women to become nuns. She encouraged and, and taught them to take their unique posture, to take their unique place and posture in the world. These are a few expressions that um, I think touch on her relationship with her sisters, with her nuns, with her students, with her sangha. This is from the nun Kanda. I met a nun who had her own food and drink. She was Patachara. She guided me in leaving home, encouraged me, and urged me to the highest goal. Uttama said, I went to a nun I thought I could trust. She was speaking of Patachara. Patakara Pankasta said, she pulled out the arrow hidden in my heart. One of the uh, translations that I've been reading from, it's, it's called Songs of the Sons and Daughters of Buddhas, of Buddha. And this is another 
example of her uh, encouragement and her teaching. And this is from the 30 sisters, these 30 nuns at this time that were from all different places, but were with her and practicing with her and studying with her. And it's more of a, um, there's a little bit of a conversation going on. Um, and, it, and it first starts out with Padachara speaking. Householders dedicate themselves to their families. This will not be you. Sisters, if you practice the insights of Buddha, you'll never regret it. Bathe your feet, sit to one side respectfully, and listen to the teachings difficult to understand. And then the 30 sisters write of Patachara. 30 sisters heard Patachara's words of instruction, words of compassion. What she taught kindled a fire in each of them. At the first watch of the night, each remembered her former lives. So many lives they watched unfold, selves of themselves, flickered, thronged through samsara, thronged through suffering. Hundreds upon hundreds of tangled up lives. Imagine the karma of 30 women, rebirth upon strenuous rebirth. In the middle of the night, at the second watch, each cleansed her heavenly eye. Each saw what's rarely seen, how the entire universe unfolds without substance. During the night's final watch, just before dawn, each tore through a barrier of indescribable anguish. They did it together. They tore through. So encouraging them, uh, the, the strength of their, their practice, their, their devotion to the path, there's warmth, there's support. And then sharing Patachara's poem of enlightenment. When they plow their fields and sow seeds in the earth, when they care for their wives and children, young Brahmins find riches. But I've done everything right and followed the rule of my teacher. I'm not lazy or proud. Why haven't I found peace? Bathing my feet, I watched the bath water spill down the slope. I concentrated my mind the way you train a good horse. Then I took a lamp and went into my cell, checked the bed, and sat down on it. I took a needle and pushed the wick down. When the lamp went out, my mind was freed. So these Brahmins finding riches and doing everything, and it all worked out for them. And then there's some anguish in her next part. I've done everything right. I'm not lazy or proud. Why haven't I find peace? There's this, there's this clinging and grasping. But then in something very ordinary, the bathing of her feet, she watches the bathwater spill down the slope, concentrating her mind on the way to train a good horse. So when I, when I read this, I, I think of, you know, training our own body-mind. And um, I've never trained a horse. I've tried to train a dog. <laughs> <laughs> and learned much. <laughs> And part of that is allowing yourself to be trained by the horse or the dog and being a completely attentive to the horse or the dog or to the body-mind uh, and giving up what I want uh, and listening to the body-mind. And then she relaxes. 
Then I took a lamp and went into my cell, checked the bed and sat down on it. I took a needle and pushed the wick down, you know, tending to her the immediate right what's right before her, tending to that. And when the lamp went out, my mind was freed. So in this darkness, uh, she opens up to everything. In this darkness, she opens up to no grasping. A moment of completely accepting and releasing the unfairness of, of life. There, wasn't, there was no one to blame, um, but completely still and embracing the present moment, embracing the nature of her human existence with all of its unpredictability and all of its impermanence and awakening to the interconnectedness and her relationship with everything, including the bathwater spilling down the hill. This next poem is from Mita, and I'll put uh, Acharya Mita. Uh, her name means, Mita means friend. Acharya is a Sanskrit word which comes before each woman's name in our chant book when we chant the women ancestors. So Acharya Mita, Acharya Patachara. Uh, so there's that, that formal title for, for teacher. So this is a poem. Um, from Mita, Acharya Mita, meaning friend. And often in, the, in these shorter poems, the meaning of their name filters into, into their poem. And again, remembering this was shared on the front porch with someone. Maybe it was shared with the Buddha. But Mita says, full of trust, you left home and soon learned to walk the path, making yourself a friend to everyone and making everyone a friend. When the whole world is your friend, fear will find no place to call home. And when you make the mind your friend, you'll allow what you'll know what trust really means. Listen, I have followed this path of friendship to its end, and I can say with absolute certainty it will lead you home. So imagining for you know a moment that the person next to you shares those words with you. Uh, from their direct experience. Very powerful, very encouraging. And hearing these words and listening, I found myself like, I can, I can enter that relationship a little bit with these women, just as we, we do with each other. We practice the pure precept of embracing and sustaining each other and all beings. And we offer a posture to each other and for each other. We offer a posture of value. We offer a posture of dignity, of strength and confidence. We offer softness. We offer warmth in our posture. Much of the time, I don't see or recognize how I'm supported by the Buddha nature, by Buddha nature of, of everything. And in Zazen, though, assuming a posture that expresses that, that contains a deeper truth, something that's not clouded by I and there and me and my and adding a little extra drama to something that happened yesterday or in the last five minutes. So not defended by my own pride, but, but a posture of openness to meeting what comes up and uh, allowing everything to come in without wriggling around it. Um, 
I most often notice the wriggling around it um, at school with 12 year olds <laughs> because I often wriggle out of or want to and try squirm and wriggle um, out of what's directly in front of me. Um, whether it's a variety of things, <laughs> it's just, the list is long. Um, and beautiful things. That list is also long. But being steady and immovable and, and upright, just allowing that all to, to come in and to embrace and, and try and sustain. How can I sustain this being one more time? Do one more time. I'll do it one more time. And that's, but it's always one more time, of course. Um, it's, it's always one more time. You know, we hold our, we hold our hands in meditation. Um, and this, what's called the cosmic mudra, this this openness, uh, everything comes in, and there's nothing in there. Everything is there, and there's nothing there. Yet there's all these jewels. You know, all of Patachara's bath water is right there in our hands, just spilling all over the place. So we have these these jewels, all of the warmth that we share with each other. The compassion and wisdom we share with each other is is there just spilling out but don't hold on to it it's not here it's not like this like this we're not grasping it sometimes in meditation when i notice oh where have i gone and you know my hands have done this they are there i've grabbed on and, and it's like wow that's really intense and how long and then the bell rings. I've been like this for 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so there's, uh, but there's that, that, that openness there. All of Patachara's bath water is, is in our hands. So again, imagine sitting next to someone that inspires you as a great woman. And this great woman, her name is Utama. That is what her name means. Utama, great woman, Acharya Utama. And this is her poem. For years, I couldn't sleep. Most nights, I'd throw off the covers and take long runs through the dark. Nothing helped. My sisters, when sleepless nights come to tear you into little pieces, rise to meet the day as a tree rises to meet the axe, as a scalp bows to meet the blade, as sparks from a dying fire reach out to meet the darkness as all of our bones someday fall softly down to meet earth. When you stand, send your roots down between the stones. When you walk, walk like a skeleton walking to its grave. When you lie down, lie down like a blown out candle being put back in a drawer. When you sit, sit very, very still. My sisters, see, sit like you are dead already. How could this world possibly give you what you're looking for when it's so busy falling apart just like you? Look closely. Don't move until you see it. So these wonderful practitioners then and now beside us, um, we bring all of that into our experience. We bring all of that into uh, each breath. And may our, may our time together 
with these minutes we've shared today be of benefit to others and 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 remember remember that steady immovable strong confident posture where is that place in your body where you feel strength where is that that place where you feel warmth that place where you feel confidence and thank you for offering that posture and that place to all of us. Thank you so much.